Hey, Razorback fans, welcome to the Hogbeat Hour, brought to you by Hogbeat.com, the Arkansas Sight and the Rivals Network, and of course, ESPN. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson. Hutch, what a week again to be a Razorback fan. I mean, these guys have to be feeling pretty lucky right now. Yeah, things are going well in Arkansas land. I mean, the baseball team is ranked number one. The basketball team just won't lose. Uh, women's basketball is still going great. You know, track teams have won SEC titles. It's just the you know, softball team has won like 10 straight or something like that. Uh, I know someone on our message board had uh, posted a thread maybe about a week ago saying, you know, will Arkansas ever lose in a sport again? And, I mean, right now I can totally see the uh, – the good juju flowing. So it's uh, quite a time to be alive if you're an Arkansas fan. I think it's, it's even giving, you know, attention, not that we have much time to cover them, but it's even giving more attention to like, you know, the gymnastics team who is also doing really well and the softball team and the soccer team, like there's just a lot of success right now. And it, it has to be, you know, getting noticed by, by recruits out there that, you know, while football's not on that list, you just look and it, it makes it seem like Arkansas is, you know, a very dominant athletic school. I mean, Hunter Yurchek tweeted out the uh, graphic the other day that had all the sports that were ranked. Uh, it was quite the flex. I mean, it was, I want to say 14 sports that were, were ranked. And I think there's only like 15 or 16 currently in season. So uh, pretty, pretty good. I, the other day, was trying to convince myself that if, you know, the Razorbacks lost to South Carolina the other night and lost the streak, it wouldn't be a big deal just because I thought it was a trap game that they might lose. And then they go out there and just absolutely put it on the Gamecocks. I mean, it was quite a game to behold, almost to the point where it was like not that entertaining because it wasn't close after a point. Like you really have to get invested in you know the player scoring and stuff if you're gonna keep a game like that on because after you know five minutes into the into the second half it was pretty much decided yeah if you weren't an Arkansas fan you probably flipped away from that game you know probably probably during the first half I mean the first I want to say eight minutes were were pretty back and forth and you know pretty tight game and then Arkansas flipped a switch and just put it on them. I mean, they just, you know, firing threes and uh, making everything they threw up. I mean, it was, it was impressive. And they were up by 17 at the half and led by as many as I think 32 points uh, in the second half. So if, if you weren't an Arkansas fan, you probably flipped it off. And I'm sure there were even a few Arkansas fans uh, that uh, turned it off just because they're like, all right, it's time to go to bed. It, it's, it's over. The Razorbacks hit 101 points. Uh, that was the third 100-plus game recorded this season. Uh, one of them was against, you know, Mississippi Valley State. So, you know, not that impressive in that instance. Uh, but, you know, South Carolina, they did have some ups and downs during the season because they had to pause games and stuff. But I thought that uh, they would be more prepared for this one after playing a couple games in a row. Uh, not really the case. Arkansas looked like they were – you know, throwing it back to last year's offense, which was just a lot more about, you know, hitting the three ball. And it worked. 
Yeah, I did. I mean, with Frank Martin being South Carolina's coach, I did expect it to be a, a more competitive game than it was. I think I even mentioned on the on this podcast that the South Carolina game worried me uh, because it was a, a classic trap game. Uh, so yeah, it, it was it was quite surprising to see them go out and do what they did. I mean, South Carolina's not a good team by any means, but it was on the road, and so it is a quadrant two win for Arkansas. Uh, that could obviously change, but right now it's looking like a Q two. And, uh, you know, road win in the SEC is, is never easy, although they've made it look easy a couple of times. You know, Vanderbilt was not much of a challenge in you know, South Carolina. Uh, but it, it, is, it is impressive for them to, to do what they did. I mean, 10 of 20 from three-point lands in the first half. I mean, I was starting to think, like, do they have a chance to break their single-game record for threes? Uh, they ended up cooling off quite a bit in the second half, but even then they still finished with 15. It was the second most threes they've made in an SEC road game in school history. So uh, just an uh, impressive, impressive performance. I don't think anybody asked, but after the games that Moses Moody had shooting in the past three, I wonder how many hours he spent in the gym because he looked like he couldn't miss. I mean, he did end up you know, 10 of 15. So he did miss five times, but he was just unstoppable. And I thought he would hit the 30 mark, but you know, 28 tying his career high is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, if he had gotten to the free throw line, like he has in the past, uh, you know, recent games, he probably would have had 30 or pushing 40. He only got to the free throw. line, I think four times he made all four of them, but uh, he had been getting to the line like 16, 18 times against LSU and Alabama. So uh, it was it was impressive to see his shot fall, and he had only he had shot like twenty two percent or something like that over the previous three games, and then he comes out and goes ten of fifteen. Uh, quite quite the improvement, and if he could keep that going, you know, against Texas A and M and into the SEC tournament and into the postseason, uh, I think Arkansas fans are are going to like their chances. I mean, Moses Moody was named you know SEC Player Freshman of the Week for that last week when he was shooting badly, but getting to the line. So a good game against Texas A&M. Uh, and I don't see why he couldn't either be, you know, freshman of the week again for the third time or player of the week. It's, it'll be interesting because I know Cam Thomas at uh, LSU had another really big game on Tuesday as well. I don't know his exact stat line, but I just know that he had a, a really good game and uh, they've got another big game, I think against Missouri on Saturday. So those are, couple of really tough matchups whereas Arkansas is playing the bottom feeders of the league LSU's got a couple of, of tough matchups and if Cam Thomas comes out there and, and plays well uh, then then he could also be uh, freshman of the week and honestly those are your probably two top candidates to be uh, freshman of the year in the SEC and, and possibly I guess you could even make the case for for player of the year although you know, Alabama, Herb Jones, probably a candidate, someone like that. But uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how it goes on Saturday. I actually just finished up doing all of my uh, seeding possibilities for the SEC tournament. Luckily, Arkansas is locked into the number two seats. So that's easy. Uh, but the other seeds are, are a little bit more complicated. I was posing this question on Twitter because – um, after Moses won, you know, freshman of the week, I decided to go look up where he's at on draft boards. I hadn't done that yet this season. I was just kind of letting things play out. And I was surprised. I mean, he was as high as seven on some boards. Like, I think that might be as high as he can get because the top five, at least, are like 
pretty solidified. Like they've, they've been the names, you know, Cade Cunningham, uh, guys like that who've, who've been at that top of the board for a while. But I asked on Twitter, who do you think is making a higher salary next year? Moses Moody as, a, as an NBA uh, rookie or Eric Musselman? And, I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head from the other week when we were talking about those, those salaries, uh, but it'll be close, I think. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Moses Moody is going to be making quite a bit of money this time next year. Uh, he he's going to be a lottery pick. I, I mean, it's pretty much set in stone. I know a lot of Arkansas fans were very resistant to that, you know, early on in the season. They didn't they're even like, want oh. to talk about the potential. Like it's, it's, it's happening guys. I'm sorry. They're like, he, he could be so much better with another year. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, he could also get a lot better in a year of NBA play and, you know, be making millions of dollars in the process. So uh, it, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's going to be the first one and done in Arkansas history. Is it possible that Justin Smith is working his way into, you know, a late round second pick? Like, I, I don't know where he was in the conversation before he decided to transfer to Arkansas, but I think he did at least, you know, put his name in for consideration at some point to, to get, um, you know, feedback back for where he's at. What do you, what do you think of his potential there? I mean, the way he's playing, I mean, Eric Musselman said it himself, he's playing like an NBA player. I mean, he is just, he's scoring, he's grabbing rebounds, he's playing fantastic defense against multiple positions. Uh, he is, he's kind of your guy that could fit the mold of the NBA. I don't know, you know, I, I don't follow the NBA draft as close as maybe some experts or even, even people that just follow it casually. Uh, but he seems like a guy that is talented enough uh, to be an NBA draft pick, you know, late second round, something like that. I think he's got, got the skill set. Uh, if nothing else, he's going to make money playing basketball somewhere. Uh, it's just a matter of where, and, you know, if it's, you know, maybe he goes the G League route and then breaks into the NBA. But uh, I think he has a very good chance of, of playing professionally. We haven't mentioned it yet, but because Jalen Tate was having a hard time uh, you know, scoring the ball and had a few turnovers early. Uh, Desi Sills got quite a few more minutes than he has in the last six games. He played 26 minutes against South Carolina, uh, had 15 points, shot five of eight, five from seven from three-point range. He was the one that really uh, started the separation in the first half, uh, hitting three after three. Um, Good timing by Desi Sills, because I think at this point, a lot of people had just kind of forgotten about him. Yeah, I mean, as well as, you know, Devo has been playing, uh, as well as, you know, J.D. Note has kind of come on strong. Uh, then Jalen Tate has typically been pretty consistent, although he's had a couple of subpar games the last two times out. Uh, it's just, where, where are the minutes going to come from? Who, whose minutes is he going to take? And when he's been out there, he hadn't exactly played particularly well. I think he was like one of seven from three-point land in the last six games or something like that. Uh, and then he comes out, he makes his first four. And, and I mean, some of them were, were pretty deep and uh, tough shots. He, he finally missed one from the corner that was pretty contested. Maybe not the best shot, but I was totally cool with him taking it because he was so hot. Uh, might as well uh, get up a shot. It wasn't just a terrible shot. So uh, that was a really good to see him emerge, you know, because if you're going to be playing, like, say, the SEC tournament, you know, you got that double bye, but you're still going to have to play, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday if you're going to make a run to the championship. Uh, 
it's tough to play three straight games, you know, three games in three days. Uh, so he, he could be a, a key piece if they're going to make that run. And, and this is all, you know, speculative, but let's say Jalen Williams isn't back by the start of the tournament. That would maybe shift the game plan for the Hogs and what they have to do and having Sills, you know, hot and being, re- being able to rely on him, that would be really big for them as well. Um, from what we've heard, you know, if, if Jalen Williams did in fact test positive for COVID, like we heard, it's 10 days. So if he tests negative at the end of 10 days, he should be back in theory uh, by, you know, Friday's game. I assume he's staying in shape as much as he can. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that at this point. Uh, what about you, if, if the Hogs have to start the tournament without him? Well, I mean, the, we could see them a lot more Connor Vanover than we expected, like we did against South Carolina. That was a game I really didn't think fit Connor Vanover's style just because South Carolina is a top 10 tempo team in the country. Uh, but Connor did did well, I mean, especially early on. He had like three rebounds and three block shots before the first media timeout. So uh, we'll see that. And then we'll also probably see a little bit more Ethan Henderson than we expected. And also – we'll see Justin Smith running at the five and being the big man uh, then have, have four guards out there. And that, that would be where we see Desi Sills, if he can continue his really good play, how that could impact Arkansas uh, is, you know, him being out there, you know, J.D. Note, Devo, uh, along with, you know, the, the usual guys like Tate and Moody and guys like that. The Hogs moved up to number 12 this week for the first time since 1998, which is just mind-blowing because, honestly, when you talk to Razorback basketball fans, you would think they have been a top 15 team over these past, you know, two decades, but it seems like it's a lot of, you know, recalling the past, and that's awesome, but it's great to finally have the Hogs back at that level where people are like, okay, I believe you now that they were, they were once a basketball uh, powerhouse. Uh, but if they, you know, stomp A&M as well, how, how high can this team go before that tournament starts? I feel like they could probably crack the, the top 10. Uh, I'm not sure what the teams ahead of them have done. Uh, but also the key is whenever you get to this kind of point of the year, uh, where do the individual voters have them? And I know there's a handful of voters. I've seen Arkansas fans have already called them out on Twitter, you know, having them at number 20 or number 18 or 15. Like, how, how could you? Uh, that, I think if those kind of poll voters kind of catch, if it catches their attention, they're like, oh, wow, like Arkansas is actually you know, good. If they beat you know, South Carolina by 28 and they blow out Texas A&M like people expect, then maybe they bump them up in their polls just enough to where it's enough to, to bump them up a couple of spots and get that coveted uh, top 10 ranking. You're a Heisman voter. If people were like tweeting at you about like how bad your pick was or whatever, like I know it's a one-time thing, so it's not quite the same thing as a weekly vote. But if people are like bombarding you about your picks, does that make you like more likely to like really look into it? Or are you just kind of like, you know, screw those fans. I'm not going to really <laughs> change my mind. I, I think because these guys who pick, I mean, they're John Rothstein was one of the ones that had the hogs outside of the, the top 15 guys that pay attention. So it's, 
I don't know. It seems like their ego wouldn't allow them to like think that they did something wrong. I mean, I would definitely be, if there was a big population of people saying, you know, this one team or this one player I need to look at, I would look at him closer. Now I wouldn't necessarily, you know, change my opinion just because I had a lot of people, you know, bully me into it. I would, I would still make my own decision, but I might take a closer look at it. And that's where I think sometimes a people gets a little bit tough because yes, there are guys like John Rothstein who are supposedly national reporters and they're always keeping track of every game and watching, you know, seven games at a time. But then you also get poll voters like for, for Arkansas, the poll voter is Bob Holt with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Great dude, but he's mostly going to be watching Arkansas basketball and probably the rest of the SEC. He probably keeps up with the SEC really well. However, how is he going to know how well, say, a West Coast team is compared to uh, Arkansas or something like that because he probably doesn't have a chance to watch them as much. And same thing with teams up in the Northeast. Uh, how do you compare Villanova to Alabama if you've never seen uh, Villanova play in person? You know, you've seen Alabama a lot, so you know what they're good at and what they're bad at. Uh, but it's hard to judge those teams, you know, these beat writers. Uh, it's just an impossible, impossible task. Now, some of them take it very seriously. I think Bob puts a lot of thought into it. I think there's a lot of uh, – Oh, I have no others. doubt Bob puts a oh, lot absolutely. of thought into it. <laughs> uh, but – it, it is tough and it's all still subjective and you're have a little bit of a bias just based on the teams that you see because you see them all the time. You don't know how good, uh, you know, a team out on the West coast is uh, compared to a team in your you know, particular area. Outside of like the Duke and the Kansas and the UNC, I literally don't pay any attention to any other basketball besides the SEC during the season. It's just, who has time for that besides these voters? Exactly. Um, Arkansas gets one more shot to show those voters what they got um, before the regular season is up. They play Texas A&M at home, 4 p.m. Uh, that game is going to be on SEC Network. And it seems like it's going to happen. Uh, they actually played Mississippi State. They lost by six last night, but it seems like the Hogs will play the Aggies this season. Yeah, it's about time. I know uh, I get the feeling just from talking to them that Eric Musselman is kind of frustrated with that whole thing, especially the second time around, because they went through several days of scouting and prep and everything, and they were getting ready to get on. They were literally loading the bus to head to the airport to fly to College Station, and then they got notified that the game wasn't happening, and that just has to be frustrating. I know how it feels when we have to not publish something that we worked on because now something's not happening. Imagine like the amount of prep that goes into a game that doesn't happen. Like the, the football team with the TCU game. Oh, devastating. I would be so upset. Now the Razorbacks are just five days away from beginning the spring practice season. It is the first one under Sam Pittman because last year's was uh, indefinitely postponed because of the COVID-19 outbreak that had just gripped the nation. It's crazy just thinking back to a year ago now. Like, it's it's really, it's like weird how this year has just kind of flown by and it feels like we're just back to, to square one. Yeah, I just, I thought about that the other day, just what it was like when everything first started happening and 
you know, the baseball season got postponed and then eventually canceled. College World Series canceled. The NCAA tournament canceled. It was just cancel culture. Very, it it was it was one of the strangest things I've ever experienced. And I remember telling my wife that I felt like if this was the biggest sports story in my lifetime by a long shot because of how much it affected. I mean, professional sports, college sports, it was it was insane. I, I'm just I'm thankful now that the games have returned. Uh, it's still not normal, not you know, hundred percent capacity at sta stadiums and stuff like that, but at least there are games going on, things for us to cover, things for us to watch and write about and talk about. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we all can say that we need Razorback sports and sports in general, not just because, you know, that's how we make our money, but it's just such a wonderful escape from reality. I love it. Um, the Razorbacks will have 15 practices over like the next four and a half-ish weeks um, with a few scrimmages thrown in, culminating in the, you know, the typical end of spring practice spring game which is you know a scrimmage that's kind of scripted and it's mostly just for fans to get acquainted with uh, the guys and to see how everyone's doing uh, but don't know what kind of fan access we'll have this year don't even know what kind of um, practice access we'll get as media members uh, but Obviously, the top thing everyone's going to be looking for on day one is the quarterbacks. Uh, the Razorbacks have four scholarship quarterbacks on campus right now. That's John Stephen Jones, uh, K.J. Jefferson, Malik Hornsby, and Lucas Coley. They also have a walk-on who was a scholarship player at Ole Miss, Cade Renfro, but he's not uh, eligible yet until the NCAA decides one way or the other if they're going to allow that immediate eligibility. I wrote this week, you know, I think KJ has a good chance to kind of run away with it this spring. Like I think if he does well enough, there won't be much of a question in the fall about who leads that room. I mean, I think it really helps that they got a really good look at him in the Missouri game. I mean, he got to start, run the show, take all the snaps and not just that, but had a ton of success. I mean, they put up 48 points uh, he didn't maybe have the best completion percentage, but he threw for 270-something yards and a bunch of touchdowns, had the the clutch uh, touchdown pass and two-point conversion completion uh, to, to give them a chance to win it in the final minute. Uh, that was – it was just a, an impressive performance and I think gave everyone kind of some hope for the future. Uh, Malik Hornsby, I, he, I think he has a ton of potential, no doubt but he just hasn't had a chance to really do it in a game. We got one look at him in a game and he had to run it a couple of times down in the red zone and tough spot at Auburn didn't go well. So uh, I just think KJ has a leg up in as much as the coaches are saying, it's a, a true quarterback competition. I, I'm kind of like you. I think KJ could easily run away with it this spring. I think a big factor is also, it seems like the team, you know, wants to be led by Jefferson. Even back during the Morris coaching carousel, a lot of players I know were like, we want to, we want to play for KJ. We want the coaches to try him out. He was a freshman at the time, obviously. Um, Morris was trying to hold on to his job. Not always the safest thing to put 
you know, your job in the hands of a freshman, but the players wanted him to go out there. Um, and you know, he had good reviews from the players when he was leading the huddle in place of Felipe Franks, who at this point, you know, he has a ton of leadership under his belt. So if, if Jefferson came even close to that, that's a really good sign already. Um, yeah, I, physically, uh, he's a really big guy. He's like 236. Um, that's the difference between him and uh, Malik Hornsby. They're both dual threats, right? But Hornsby is like 185, uh, just a lot more slim and uh, speedier. But there's no saying that you can't use both at times. Like if you need – you know, Florida did, has done it really well for the past two seasons with Emory Jones. They put him in, and you kind of know what he's going to do, but it still works for them. Exactly. I think you're going to see Malik Hornsby because I think they just want, they also are going to want to see what they have in him. I mean, if it goes well and KJ starts struggling, then they'll have more confidence to maybe make a switch if that's needed. Uh, but yeah, I think KJ, you know, he's bigger, probably more durable. Uh, he can probably take some more hits. You know, obviously, I think he got banged up at least in the uh, his true freshman season. That uh, maybe a little bit last year too. I can't remember. So uh, he he's a he's a guy that can can bang and get you some yards on the ground, and also uh, clearly has an arm. It's not necessarily the most accurate arm in the world. I remember that was the big thing when when fans were calling for him to start early on as as a true freshman back in 2019. You know, just the little bit that we got to see of him in practice the accuracy just wasn't there. I mean, he was missing receivers on routes on air. Uh, that's, that's not a good sign. You'll throw some defenders out there and could go very poorly, but he showed a ton of improvement from that to what we saw against Missouri. So if he can just continue that kind of trajectory, then I think he's going to be the guy and, and we'll see Malik kind of in, in spurts here and there. The, uh, the second in my series of, you know, burning questions for the spring was, who will replace Jonathan Marshall? Uh, the Razorbacks, you know, played mostly, I don't know the percentage breakdown, but a lot of that three-man front. So it was a lot of uh, Jonathan Marshall um, along with two defensive ends or Marshall and Nichols and an end. But I just don't see a guy on this team right now as it is that can fill in that role. And I think that's so important because this, this defensive line was not very good last year aside from Marshall. So um, Nichols just is so much lighter than him. I'm just not sure that he has that same push that uh, Marshall had on, you know, SEC offensive linemen. I'm not sure if uh, how much more weight you can put on him, but uh, then there's a lot of young guys that we just really – haven't seen a whole lot of the the one guy that played the most was Torian Carter which if you had asked me which of the three 2019 defensive tackle freshmen was going to play uh, the most by year two it wouldn't have been him he was smaller uh, than Enoch Jackson and Marcus Miller but I don't know maybe maybe he is on his way to filling that role but uh, so far there's just a lot of questions on that defensive line. Yeah, Jonathan Marshall, people forget. I mean, this dude was the strongest guy on the team, and that helps when you have that strength, not just the size, uh, but if you're able to push guys around. I mean, go back and watch the Mississippi State game that Arkansas won. He was just absolutely driving that center back, I mean, on every snap. It was, it was impressive. 
uh, he had a ton of pressures. If you look at the pro football focus numbers in that game and also just overall, and plus he was so durable in that he played a ton of snaps more than any other interior defensive lineman in the country. Plus he added some special teams on the side. So uh, just a, a incredible player. I'm, I'm anxious to see where he ends up on uh, in the NFL drafts. I think some team's going to get a really good player in him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, who, who's going to be that guy? I mean, I personally, I would love it to be Isaiah Nichols. He's a Springdale guy. He went to the same high school as me. So that would be really cool. Uh, but I just, I don't know if he's, he's got it. You know, I would like, you know, I like you, I, I wouldn't have picked Torian Carter as the one of those three 2019 defensive tackle signees. I, I would have gone with Marcus Miller. I think he's got a ton of potential and untapped potential uh, just because he's still kind of, he's still young, hadn't played a ton. And he came from a program in Warren, which is a incredible football program, no doubt. Uh, but he was playing both ways and, and not really in, a, in an SEC weight program. Uh, I think now two years in, he has, I think, a lot of potential to, to maybe surprise some people, especially considering he didn't play as much as maybe we all expected this year. There was some surprising breaking news on, I believe it was Monday, uh, Blaine Toll, the uh, Hazen Hulk. He opted to enter the transfer portal after a season that saw him, you know, flip back and forth from the, the defensive end group to the tight end room. Um, mostly to my understanding because of necessity like they needed guys to help with the tight ends or they're not much depth there that means you know practice numbers are limited and it's just you know they need to have some balance and he was an obvious shoe in there he wasn't gonna play on the defensive line as a as a true freshman um, so they moved him around does that factor into him deciding to transfer don't know but it's unfortunate. I think he's one that will like watch down the road and, and see if he does develop because he's just so physically impressive. He looks like a guy that should be really, really good. Exactly. And it, it, he should look even more impressive once he gets into a college weight program and, and continues to bulk up and, and learn how to use his size. Uh, and I think getting to, to focus on one position will, will help him greatly. Uh, it's, it's hard you know, it's, it's easier to play all over the field when you're playing at Hazen, you know, against 2A competition in Arkansas. It's another story flipping back and forth in the SEC. You'd have no chance. I mean, yeah, he probably wasn't going to play a bunch on the defensive line, if at all, uh, but he probably would have uh, developed more and be in a better position to help this year if he had gotten to focus on one position instead of having to flip back and forth. He changed positions four times uh, in his one year at Arkansas. And it was about exact, I mean, a little bit more than a year because he was an early enrollee and here we are in March. Uh, so maybe 15 months or so, he changed positions four times. That's, uh, that's tough on a kid. Folks that like hear rumors and stuff said that, you know, he has a girlfriend at Arkansas State and he actually had wanted to, to go to school with her anyways in the first place. But being smart parents, his parents were like, you're not going to go to a school for a girl. <laughs> I'm sure that a, a lot of people have done that and made that mistake. But, you know, sometimes you just got to do what makes you happy. But it does leave Arkansas 
in a odd position because normally, you know, you, you renew, you refill your numbers, but they've lost more this off season than they've gained to that room. Uh, they lost uh, Julius Coates, now Blaine Toll. You know, you lost Marshall to the draft. Xavier Kelly isn't coming back. Uh, you did get Dorian Gerald back, which is nice. Uh, but you're down on numbers. You didn't sign any defensive ends in the 2021 class. So um, not great. They're going to need a really good defensive line class in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if they might still possibly bring in a pass rusher as a as a transfer. I mean, they could they could count a scholarship ahead. I think. I mean, we're they not. But I just don't there. know that there are like guys out there they're willing to take chances on. Like they have to be surefire ready. Like Xavier Kelly, people thought, oh, because you know he might be third string at Clemson, but maybe he's first string at Arkansas. No, he wasn't. He still wasn't playing very much. So you. I think it, you have to be sure, and if you're going to take a spot from, you know, that next class, and so far, the only one guy that I thought maybe they had a chance with, Big Cat Bryant, he just ended up following Gus to UCF, so uh, unfortunate. I'm sure a lot of schools were like, what? thought he was going to a top 10 program. Hutch, the Razorbacks hit number one in the Rivals composite baseball poll and a lot of other polls uh, this week. You know, just give us your take. Did you uh, expect that after this weekend's performance? Uh, well, I didn't exactly expect it because they would sweep a four-game series against SEMO. SEMO's a an okay team, you know, quality, mid-major, whatever, but not enough to really move the needle. However, what helped is that uh, Ole Miss went out and lost two of three against UCF, and a bunch of other teams also lost. So, uh, really, Arkansas kind of moved up because they didn't they didn't mess up. They didn't slip up along the way, and they took care of business. Uh, in addition to their really solid opening weekend where they beat Texas Tech, Texas, and TCU. Uh, so, 7-0. and uh, number one in, in five of the six major college baseball polls. Perfect game is the only outlier. Uh, they have Arkansas number three behind Louisville and Florida, uh, which Louisville and Florida both lost their midweek games this week. Uh, midweek games don't mean a ton, but if Arkansas could take care of business uh, against uh, Murray State, which is another quality team, actually picked ahead of SEMO uh, in the Ohio Valley Conference uh, preseason projections, uh, then they have a very good chance of becoming a unanimous number one team in all the polls, which would be uh, pretty incredible. I, I didn't expect them to be this good, especially this fast. I'm not going to make you, you know, run down the game summaries from all those games this past weekend. If you want uh, to go read about everything that happened, you can go to hogbeat.com, get, you know, those scoring updates where you can just quickly see, uh, the the scoring and um, what happened to lead to those scores or you can read of course Hutch's you know in-depth post-game gamers um, but what were your main takeaways from that weekend of play? Well game one they had a chance to lose I mean they they were I thought they lost we had already looked up uh, the last time Arkansas had lost a, a home opener uh, which was 1994 in case you're wondering uh, they were down five to two heading into the night and then they put together a rally and they scored three runs, forced extras and won it in the 10th. Uh, pretty incredible 
a job because I mean they that's how they won their games in in Arlington is they had to come back against T, uh, Texas Tech they had to come back against TCU uh, so they just have a knack for for rallying like that and they also had a had to come back and rally in game two as well so I think that was kind of my biggest takeaway is this team doesn't quit uh, you know they could have easily you know last week been like hey we're three and oh we've uh, you know top 10 in the country top number two in one poll we could easily just you know go out here and not really play hard and but uh they 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 went out there and they they did not quit and they they rallied for that win and then of course a couple of really big wins on Saturday and Sunday you know by wide margins which was a little bit expected I think SEMO ran out of pitching and they they did what they were supposed to do they they took care of business and and just beat them down and 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 got it got it over with quickly. I watched the final innings of Friday's game and a few more innings throughout the weekend. One guy that stood out to me is this Battles kid. I mean, how did Arkansas get this guy? He seems really good. Did did you know he was going to be this good when Arkansas brought him on? So he's a JUCO transfer. Uh, he's originally from San Antonio. Uh, he was a guy that probably in a normal year might have gotten drafted out of JUCO and not made it to Arkansas. Uh, he's a guy that has a really good glove and is a fantastic fielding shortstop. Uh, the question with him was always, can he hit well enough? And lo and behold, I think he leads the team in RBIs. Uh, he's hitting well over 300, uh, despite being in the eight and nine hole uh, in, in the lineup. So he, he's, he's exceeded my expectations at the plate. He's been just as good as I expected in the field. Uh, but for him to be hitting like he is, uh, is just is, is a bonus. Who else is, is hot right now at the plate? Well, uh, Casey Opitz leads the team in batting average. Uh, and he, he uh, had a, a scary collision on Sunday uh, where he hit a little dribbler down the first base line and the pitcher threw it to the first baseman and it was wide and uh, first baseman and, and Opitz collided. And the first baseman was a big dude. Uh, and he landed on top of Casey and uh, – Casey was laying on the ground for a little bit, but luckily it sounds like he's okay. He should be ready to go and play all weekends. Uh, you might get a look at a backup catcher if you know there's a blowout or something like that. But I expect Casey to be in the lineup and start you know this weekend. No no hindrance by uh, injuries, uh, no concussion. That was my big worry, and apparently he kind of banged up his uh, wrist a little bit, but it's fine. No X-rays and MRIs and stuff were negative, so he. He should be fine. He doesn't. Uh, him having the season he is at the plate is, is another bonus because he's he's in the lineup because he's an incredible catcher uh, defensively, and uh, to get some production out of him uh, offensively is is as as I, as I said a bonus. I saw you gave the starting pitching group a C after this weekend, but the bullpen uh, got an A. Um, What'd you like? What, what didn't you like from this weekend? Well, as far as the starters are concerned, Peyton Paulette is, is fantastic. He is looking like an ace. And, you know, actually the U of A just released their starting rotation for this weekend. And it looks like Peyton Paulette's moving into that Friday night role uh, starting game one. He was phenomenal, went five innings, eight strikeouts, I think only one walk. Uh, so he, he's fantastic. Uh, the rest of the rotation was a little bit of a struggle. You know, Zebulon Vermillion, uh, they were trying to give him every opportunity to be a starter and just hasn't quite gone as well. He's, he's issued a lot of walks. He's not a guy that walks a lot of guys. 
in the in the past. So that's a little bit of a concern. They've moved him back to the bullpen, uh, and they've moved Caleb Bolden, who started game one against SEMO and only recorded, I think, one out. Uh, he, he is going to be starting game two, but not too much of a concern on that because he was pitching on short rest. Uh, he had pitched on Sunday against Texas and then pitched again on Thursday against SEMO. Not a lot of rest there. Uh, and then uh, Lyle Lockhart is still the game three starter. He started the final game of the SEMO series. Looked really, really good at the beginning, uh, but the rain kept falling and the mound got muddy and he lost a little bit of his control with the wet ball and the muddy mound. Uh, and Van Horn was was not concerned about it at all. Uh, so I'm not particularly concerned. The, the overall numbers for the starting rotation were not great, probably deserving more of a, a D or an F grade. Uh, but C, I think, is fair when you can, uh, consider all of the, the reasoning there, you know, short rest for Bolden, the horrible conditions for Lockhart. Uh, so I, pretty good. But the bullpen was fantastic once again. There were a couple of young guys that got in there and gave up a run or two that, maybe inflated the ERA a little bit, but they still kept it under three uh, and were just really, really solid. I mean, Jackson Wiggins is a guy that just continues to impress. He struck out all three batters he faced in Texas and then came out and retired all three, struck out the first two and then got a ground ball uh, to the third guy in his one inning of work in the 10th inning of game one. So big spot there for the freshman. Uh, came through so and, and Kevin Copps continues to pitch well as well he, he's a guy also worth mentioning so bullpen continues to be really really good and I think will even be better with Zebulon Vermillion back in there. I think a lot of people wanted to know you know what was going on with Con Connor Nolan, Patrick Wicklander, uh, what did you see from them? Yeah that was probably also the biggest story of the weekend I completely forgot to mention those guys because uh, they, they didn't pitch at all in Texas, and they were part of the rotation as freshmen in 2019 when they made it to the College World Series. Uh, so that was a pretty big surprise. Uh, yet here they are uh, coming out of the bullpen, second weekend, and both pitched fantastic. And neither one of them gave up an earned run. Wicklander uh, gave up a little bit more than Nolan. Nolan was uh, probably a little bit more efficient and everything. He got went five and or four and two thirds innings I want to say and no uh, Wicklander went four innings uh, so really really good performance by them I honestly thought they might give Nolan a shot in the rotation this weekend instead of Bolden uh, but I guess they're going to keep him in the bullpen and if he can, if both those guys can become really solid long relievers uh, that would be fantastic because that's what the 2018 team had in Barrett Lowski and, and Jake Rindle was two dynamite uh, long relievers that could give you a four or five innings if uh, your starter struggles. Did you predict a sweep for this Murray State matchup this weekend? I'd have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped a game just because it's hard to win every weekend uh, and sweep every weekend, even against you know non-conference teams. Uh, I actually had them winning two of three against Murray State. So uh, I, I would pick them now to sweep. Uh, just because of how well they're playing. But again, no one panic if they lose one game. If they lose one game, it's fine. As long as you win the series, that's all that matters. All those games will be on your, you know, ESPN streaming, um, 3 p.m., 1 p.m., and 1 p.m. And Saturday, obviously, you have the 4 p.m. basketball game on SEC Network. And then we found out that, you know, the Louisiana Tech series on the road um, next week, those games will be on, you know, ESPN Plus as well. So you won't have to miss 
any of the action. Well, Andrew Hutchinson, Arkansas Sports Writer of the Year, is off for the rest of the show. He has gone to talk to Dave Van Horn about this weekend series against Murray State, which, like I said, you can follow all of our content and coverage of that series on hogbeat.com. Those games are at 3, 1, and 1, Friday through Sunday. So follow our live updates on the trough. This weekend is going to be big. The Hogs have the Murray State Series, the final regular season game against A&M for the Hoops team. And then football gets underway next week on Tuesday, but this weekend there could be some pretty big news. There have been a lot of rumors swirling around that the Razorbacks might be getting uh, a couple of commitments this weekend. There are, you know, several prospects looking to make decisions now that the dead period has been extended all the way to the beginning of June, which, you know, limits guys. They won't be able to take official visits up until that point. So uh, the Hogs have been putting the pressure on these in-state prospects to make some decisions. And I think they are getting uh, very, very close. The two that I'm looking at are James Jointer, the running back from Parkview High School. Uh, he cut a top seven. The Hogs were in there, of course. Um, and he has always struck me as a guy that's uh, going to be a Razorback because he had, you know, been very, very open about how much he liked Darren McFadden and how people compared his game to McFadden's game. And uh, he's always been very positive about his relationship with Coach Jimmy Smith. He says Coach Smith checks on his family a lot, and that means a lot to him, that it's more than just football between those two guys. Uh, the other prospect I'm looking at maybe making a decision soon is Maumel offensive lineman Andrew Chambly. I talked to him a few weeks ago, and he also put out his top seven recently. I talked to him a few weeks ago, and he said, yes, every time the Razorbacks call, they're, they're looking for a commitment from him. And he was hoping to get out to see some schools, like maybe Florida, maybe Ohio State. Uh, but with that dead period pushed off, it looks like the Hogs might get two more additions, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, if Jointer commits, uh, that'll be two running backs in the class. Uh, and then if Andrew Chambly commits, uh, that is the second offensive lineman uh, joining uh, three-star center uh, Eli Henderson from South Carolina. Uh, so that would get the class moving. I mean, uh, they're pretty much on par with what you would expect right now in the SEC. There are some schools that have really turned it up and are, you know, eight commits deep, but uh, if the Hogs get two this weekend, then that gives them a six, and I think that that is pretty good for March. Uh, some people, even last year, uh, this was still before they got the ball rolling on the 2021 class, so I think people would be happy uh, with the progress that they're making on that 2022 class if they were to get six uh, this month. Um, the Razorbacks made a new hire, two new hires actually, but one relating to recruitment. Um, the Razorbacks hired uh, Butler Benton. 
it's hard to say it's alliterative and a little bit tough. Got some first name, last name situations, but Butler Benton, he comes to Arkansas as the executive director of player personnel and recruiting which means he's, you know, overseeing, making sure uh, the roster has what it needs, keeping the guys organized in terms of, you know, who they're recruiting and what their needs are. Uh, he has experience as a, a student-athlete mentor. Uh, he played himself at Cincinnati. He was a running back uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, he worked at Michigan State. He worked at Notre Dame. Um, and most recently, he was at Georgia Southern, which is where Jimmy Smith was most recently coaching before coming to Arkansas. And so I'm sure he got a pretty good recommendation from Jimmy Smith's old boss at Georgia Southern, uh, Chad Lunsford. So I'm sure that was a good connection there. But, you know, the Hogs needed to fill that position. It had been a while since Joshua Thompson left to go take this similar position at Auburn. And so now they have someone coordinating their recruitment activity. Uh, and it seems like a pretty good hire. He's a Michigan native. The Hogs have targeted that part of the country. Not sure how much a recruiting coordinator from Michigan really helps. Uh, but he certainly will have connections to the area. So it cannot hurt. Like I said, everybody stay tuned this weekend. Um, and going forward, there are some other prospects who might be looking to make decisions coming up. But most recently, the Razorbacks, you know, made a top three for a Rivals 250 lineman down in Louisiana. They made the top eight for a four-star lineman in Georgia. Unfortunately, both those guys have offers from the SEC programs in their states. So I think the Hogs are behind, you know, Georgia and LSU on that front. But they're making progress with these guys and staying in the mix. And I think at this point, uh, that's what you have to hope for uh, while these kids aren't able to visit. If you need more info, you can always drop by the trough, ask me a question. I will get you an answer as accurate as I know it as soon as possible. Uh, you can subscribe with code HAWGS30. Thank you so much for listening, Razorback fans. Remember, basketball, baseball this weekend, football starts on Tuesday, and some exciting recruiting activity happening this weekend. So get on Hogbeat. Have a good weekend.